Well, I titled uh, this message, Do All Faiths Lead to God? Do All Faiths Lead to God? And what we're going to be doing, we're going to be looking at different world religions to show how meaningless the statement is uh, when people say that all religions lead to God. We talked about that at those who were uh, with us in the Sunday school class, that pluralism is the belief that all religions lead to God, that they're teaching the same truths, um, though they just use uh, different words. And uh, and so I'm going to ask Joel if he would just put up the, uh, the slide on the uh, uh, Christianity. And we'll see that the basic uh, Christian beliefs uh, and how they differ uh, from the beliefs uh, of other religions. Christianity teaches that there is only one God, and this God is a personal God, not an impersonal force uh, like that of Star Wars, the force be with you, it's the Lord be with you. It's a personal God that we can enter into a love relationship with. Uh, one personal creator God who can perform miracles, um, and that this one God is three persons. We Christians call that the doctrine of the Trinity. As far as creation, Christianity teaches that God freely chose to create the universe out of nothing. Christians believe that the Bible is God's inerrant word. It's totally free of errors in the original manuscripts. And it is the ultimate authority for our beliefs and behavior. Now, King's West uh, students are going to hear my mantra one more time here, but uh, that salvation according to Christianity, is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Okay? And um, it's by grace alone. It's a free gift. We cannot earn salvation. You can't do enough good things to get to heaven. In fact, you can't do anything good in God's eyes. If we're going to be saved, you know, Christianity teaches, and this is what makes it so incompatible with the other world's religions. Christianity teaches that the only ticket that will get you to heaven is perfect righteousness. But the fact of the matter is, none of us have that in ourselves. And so we either trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation, who died on the cross for our sins, and we receive His righteousness as a free gift, and then we have our quote-unquote ticket to heaven, or we're going to stand there on the judgment day and in our own righteousness, which Isaiah says is filthy rags before the Lord, and uh, our righteousness, or lack thereof, is going to be measured against the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, salvation is not by works, it is a free gift, and we trust in Jesus alone for the salvation. Now, this brings with it the idea of substitute sacrifice. The fact that Jesus died in our place and took our punishment for us. This whole idea of salvation by grace alone, the idea of substitute sacrifice, the role that uh, that the Lord Jesus plays and who He is, what He did, um, totally separates Christianity from the world's religions. Uh, Christianity teaches that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, that He became a man without ceasing to be God so that He is fully God, and fully man. He died on the cross for our sins, took our punishment for us, 
and rose from the dead. Father raised him from the dead, accepting the work of Christ. Uh, but Jesus also rose from the dead to conquer death for us. I mean, if human history is nothing but a bunch of men and women who live, and then some accomplish great things, some don't accomplish too much, but we live and then we die, and human history is nothing but a bunch of people who lived and died and that's it. And human history is nothing but one big, ugly, cruel joke. But if the Lord Jesus is who He claimed to be, and if His tomb was really left empty, and if He really did rise from the dead, then we have hope. In fact, I would argue that if Jesus of Nazareth, if His body, if His corpse rotted in the tomb, that there would be no hope. No hope whatsoever. And so Jesus rose from the dead and promised to return. Christianity teaches that man was created in God's image, therefore human life is sacred, but still man is fallen and therefore needs to be saved. Christianity teaches that we are all sinners who need to be saved. We cannot save ourselves. As far as morality, some of God's moral laws apply to all people at all times in all places. Okay, I debated several atheists uh, over the years, and um, at Bellevue Community College, I debated an atheist, um, and I tried to corner him and show how ugly atheism is by asking him if he believed that rape and incest were wrong that for all people at all times and all places. And I was surprised how consistent he was with his atheism because he acknowledged but since he was an atheist, he did not believe that rape and incest were wrong at all times for all people in all places. The scary thing was that the uh, the crowd at that point began to heckle me because I showed how intolerant I was because I believed in absolute moral laws. And, um, you know, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And we're, we're living in days like that right now. But Christianity teaches that God is the moral lawgiver and... And many of his moral laws apply to all people at all times and all places. And Christianity teaches that absolute truth exists. Now, if we look at Judaism, Judaism has much in common with Christianity, but the differences are significant because they deal with the person of Christ, who is the Savior. They deal with the issue uh, of salvation. Uh the Jews believe in one personal creator, God, who can perform miracles, but they deny that God is three persons. Okay? Uh, they agree with Christians on creation. They accept the Old Testament. The Orthodox Jews accept the Old Testament as God's word, but the New Testament is not. Okay? Um, so also, they have their uh, the commentary of the rabbis. The Talmud is also considered uh, authoritative. But salvation for the Orthodox Jew today has devolved into obedience to God's laws and devotion to the God of Israel. They can talk about grace, God's unmerited favor, God's charity. They can talk about that, but the fact of the matter is, you will not find in Judaism a substitute sacrifice. Um, several several things that I do when I uh, witness to Orthodox Jews, and, and by the way, not all Jews are Orthodox Jews. Many Jews are skeptics. Many Jews are New Agers. But if a person is an Orthodox Jew who believes the Old Testament is God's Word, you can plant some seed by talking about Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. Um, I mean, it's pretty hard to 
pretty hard to reject that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. I mean, you could just take, he fulfilled literally hundreds of prophecies. But if you just take three prophecies and put them together, um, in the book of Isaiah 11, chapter 11, um, chapter 45, we find that uh, the Messiah, whoever he is, would receive a wide Gentile following. Isaiah 53 says the Messiah would be rejected by his own people, by the Jews. And then in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, we're told that before the temple is destroyed, which occurred in 70 AD, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. In other words, the Messiah will be executed. So uh, a question I like to ask my, my Orthodox Jewish friends is, what man claimed to be the Jewish Messiah, was rejected by the Jews, received a wide Gentile following, I don't know anybody else who claimed to be the Jewish Messiah, that the uh, Gentiles non-Jews all around the world are building buildings to gather together in his name. What man claimed to be the Jewish Messiah was rejected by the Jews, received the wide Gentile following, and was executed before 70 AD. There's only one man in the history of mankind that fulfills just those prophecies, not to mention the hundreds of other prophecies fulfilled uh, by Jesus but another question that, that I often ask Orthodox Jews is that the bloodshed of animals, did it take away sin? Okay? Because they can only answer that either yes or no. Okay? If they say, uh, yes, it did take away sin, well then what is, where does that leave them? The temple's not standing. They're not offering animal sacrifices. Animals are not being slaughtered for their sin. But more than likely they'll say no that the bloodshed of animals was not meant to take away sin. And so then my question would be there, well then, why did God have you slaughter all those millions upon millions of animals? Do you think he was trying to tell you something? Do you think he was trying to point forward to something? Or maybe possibly he was telling you that someday his precious lamb would come and would die on the cross for our sins. Um, but you have no concept of a substitute sacrifice in the current state of, uh, of Judaism. Uh, Jesus, according to the, the Jews, is just a man, not God, not Savior, not Messiah. Although there are some exceptions. Um, there is a Rabbi Lapid, not Rabbi Lapin from, from Mercer Island, but Rabbi Lapid, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi that has examined the evidence for Christ's resurrection from the dead and acknowledges that Jesus did rise from the dead. Um, he believes that Jesus is the uh, uh, greatest Jewish prophet who ever lived. However, he believes that the apostles totally got confused and just did not understand his message. And so he doesn't worship Jesus as Savior or Messiah and things of that sort, which is kind of weird. If, I mean, if God's going to send the greatest Jewish prophet ever, why in the world would he allow his message to be confused by that first generation? So, you know, you got to prophet comes to give a message from God to the people. If, um, if that message doesn't get out to the people, it would seem that uh, that, that God would have failed. Um, but whatever the case, uh, there's a, a, a friend of mine, uh, Barry Schwartz, um, the world's leading photographer of the Shroud of Turin. He believes the Shroud of Turin is the burial cloth of Christ. And so I asked him on it, he lives in California, I asked him on the phone, I said, well, do you believe that's the burial cloth of Christ? And he says, yes. And I said, well, do you believe that Jesus is, is the Messiah?
Messiah and that he rose from the dead? And he said, uh, I choose to, to not think about such things. And so he just, he, he acknowledges all this evidence and then just stops short uh, and just chooses not to think about it because he's afraid where that might lead him. Um, whatever the case, uh, the Jewish view of man is it's very similar. Human life is sacred. Man was created in God's image. However, man is no longer perfect and the fall of mankind is not quite as great as that in, in Christianity because you don't need to be born again uh, as you do in Christianity. Uh, you can work for your salvation. Um, the Jews teach we're all sinners, uh, but we can earn our salvation through repentance, devotion to God, and good works. Again, there is no substitute sacrifice. Now, the Jews, as well as the Muslims, the Islamic faith, agree with us on that God has given us some absolute moral laws and absolute truth does exist. Uh, the Muslims, as well as the Jews, agree with us that there's one uh, personal creator God who can perform miracles. Again, the Muslims and the Jews both deny uh, the doctrine uh, of the Trinity. They're pretty much in agreement with us on creation. The Muslims add the Quran to God's Word, and they believe the Quran is a later revelation and therefore superior to God's Word, and they'll question whether God's Word was translated correctly and things of that sort. Uh, again, there's a disagreement on salvation. Salvation in Islam is through obedience to Allah's laws and devotion to Him. Again, no substitute sacrifice. We're going to talk about that um, when, I, when I wrap this up, the importance of a substitute sacrifice. That if God's going to remain just, yet justify the unjust, there has to be a substitute sacrifice. Okay? Um, in short, uh, there was no other way for us to be saved. God had to slaughter His Son. Um, he couldn't. He couldn't just pick arbitrarily pick some other way. There had to be an ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice, and we'll talk about that. Uh, Jesus is just considered a great prophet in the Islamic faith, but Muhammad supposedly is greater. Jesus is not God uh, or Savior. Um, they have the same view, basically, of man as the, the uh, Jewish faith does. Um, again, salvation. We're all sinners, but we can earn salvation through repentance, good works, and devotion to Allah. Again, no substitute uh, sacrifice. So, with the... Islamic faith and the Jewish faith, you find the two religions of the, of the world's leading religions, you find the two religions that are the, the closest to Christianity. And yet, they differ on the person of Christ. They, they reject that He is God. They reject that He is Savior. They reject that salvation comes only through Him. Okay? Um, and so, uh, when everything's said and done, when it comes to the question, what must I do to be saved, uh, Christianity gives a different answer than Judaism and Islam do. Okay? So, the idea that all religions teach the same thing, that's a, that's a, that's a whole different religion. It's not a true statement um, about the way religions are. It's, it's a whole new religion. And uh, Hinduism... Uh, is an example of it. Now, Hinduism and Buddhism are very closely related, as 
uh, is the uh, New Age movement. Uh, the New Age movement is is just basically uh, bringing to the West Eastern thoughts such as Hinduism and Buddhism, plus a little bit of ancient paganism is is brought back into the picture. That's why sometimes it's referred to as uh, neo-paganism. But whatever the case with Buddhism, Buddha himself didn't even wasn't even sure that God existed. He thought it was an irrelevant question. Uh, but many Buddhists do believe in the existence of an impersonal God or a non-personal God. God is an impersonal force, and that God is the universe. And that's basically the Hindu view. Okay. And um, you know, I was listening to Ravi Zacharias this morning on the way over, and uh, he was talking about how uh, Hinduism. Uh, uh, a Hindu guru that came to America in the late 1800s began to slam Christianity for a whole lot of atrocities that uh, Christianity had supposedly committed. And he recommended that we turn to Hinduism because it teaches the equality of human beings. And um, Ravi Zacharias noted that it's just amazing that he could get away with saying the only you can get away with saying that that Hinduism teaches and 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 really applies the equality of all human beings. The only way you can get away with saying that is in America. You can't get away with saying that in India because they got this ugly thing over there called the caste system, C A S T E, and whatever caste you're born into, you cannot leave. You have to hope to. Uh, be reincarnated into a higher caste, okay? I believe it's 2% of the people living in the highest caste control 98% of the wealth in India. They certainly could alleviate some of the suffering there if they felt like it, but apparently they don't feel like it. And so you have people like the late Mother Teresa, people who come out of the general Christian worldview that go over there and build the hospitals and try to feed the hungry um, in fact, uh, for a Hindu to try to alleviate someone's sufferings would actually uh, interfere with the attainment of nirvana. You would actually slow down the, their uh, reincarnation process because we're, we're here suffering on earth right now to work off negative karma. And if you alleviate my suffering, then I've got to suffer for that again in the, in the next life. And so uh, you get nothing but neglect. And so the god of Hinduism... And if the Buddhists believe in any god, and the New Age movement is a non-personal god, a force, more has more in common with electricity than with the true uh, personal god uh, of the Bible. Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, and uh, the New Age movement, to a certain degree, uh, reject creation, and the, the physical universe is somewhat of an illusion. Okay, it's less than real. Okay. Now let me say this: If you go and see Bain, New Agers in Bainbridge Island, okay, even though many of them believe the physical world is an illusion, okay, physical things don't really exist. Um, they don't want you going near their BMWs. Okay. So, um, so keep in mind that Americans are having a harder time. Uh, with these uh, Eastern principles than uh, than Hindus and, and, and uh, Buddhists are. Um, 
Whatever the case, the Bible is rejected as God's Word. The Hindus have their own sacred text. The Buddhists have the teachings of Buddha, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. Uh, salvation is often through Hindu meditation, uh, which is different from... Does everybody realize we're supposed to be meditating on God's Word daily? Just look, get a strong concordance. Look up the word meditate. But that means that it's not an emptying of one's mind, but it's a focusing of one's mind on the truths of God's Word. Hinduism is a disengaging of the mind from rational thought. It's a cessation of thought. It's surrendering the control of your mind and emptying your mind in Hinduism, Buddhism, and in New Age meditation. And it leaves you open uh, to demonic uh, possession. Um, and so salvation is, is through meditation, reincarnation, uh, could be fasting, practicing the teachings of a guru, devotion to a god. The Hindus believe that God is the universe, and since man is part of the universe, man is God, and that this impersonal, non-personal God has manifested itself in many ways. Okay, And so often they will talk about Jesus as being one of many manifestations of God. Now we all know John 3.16 where um, uh, it, it tells us that Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father. He is not one of many manifestations of God. He is the only manifestation of God. In fact, he is such a, a perfect manifestation of God that he is actually God in the flesh. God, the second person of the Trinity in the flesh. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 tells us that the Word became flesh. Um, and so, uh, uh, Buddhism, Jesus is just a great moral and religious teacher. He's not God. New Age movement, Jesus is just one of the many manifestations of the impersonal God. Um, again, as we go down these lists, where we're seeing differences on key essential issues. Okay? I mean, look, look at uh, truth, for instance. Hinduism teaches there is no absolute truth. Uh, Buddhism teaches no absolute truth. Reality is non-rational. New Age movement teaches there is no universal Absolute truth. Okay? So, how can the statement be true that all religions teach the same thing and all religions teach the same truth if some of the religions don't even believe in the concept of truth? How can Hinduism, Buddhism, and the New Age movement teach the same thing as Judaism, Islam, and Christianity when Christianity says there is absolute truth? Um, Islam. Judaism says there is absolute truth. Uh, the Eastern religions and New Age pantheism says there is no absolute truth. I think I said, said it earlier that the big problem with the statement there is no absolute truth, and that's that the only way it could be true if it were an absolute truth, but then it would have to be false because the statement says there's no absolute truth. So it, it's what philosophers call a self-refuting statement. It has to be false. Therefore, there is absolute truth. Okay. Now, now, now some people... Say, okay, well, maybe there's truth, but uh, man can't know it. But the problem with that is that the statement, man cannot know truth, is a claim to know at least one truth, and that's that man can't know truth. So if there's two things we know, one is there is absolute truth, and two, man can know it. Okay? And if you start there, believe me, you are well on your way 
to bowing before the throne of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified for us and risen from the dead. Um, uh, no absolute moral laws. Hinduism, Buddhism, and the New Age movement. No absolute moral laws. Um, this amazes me. Okay? Um, do you realize, you know, people in the name of Christianity, people who call themselves Christians, have done horrible things and committed horrible atrocities in the supposed name of Christ. Um, and obviously they weren't really Christians. Jesus says, you know, uh, not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So anybody who persecuted Jews just because they were Jews, they persecuted people because they didn't accept uh, the, the gospel message, it's pretty obvious that they were not really uh, true uh, Christians. They were not true followers of Christ. But the, a Hindu guru will say, look at all the evil that Christians have done. Shouldn't you Americans reject Christianity because of that? And most Americans right now, especially on college campuses today, are saying that's a good argument. And because of all the evil, that guru is right. Because of all the evil Christianity has done, I'm going to leave my Christian church and find a guru and, and become a Hindu. And then what's the first thing the Hindu teaches them? There is no such thing as evil. Okay? So leave Christianity because Christians are evil. You leave that, you go to uh, Hinduism, and the first thing they teach you is there is no evil. Now what I want to do is, is go through something... Uh, that I call the logic of salvation, to just show that the uh, salvation message is internally consistent. It makes sense. Okay, the, the Muslims. Uh, in, in May, I've got a debate in New York City um, against a Muslim apologist on the question: Is Jesus God? Okay, and um, one of the one of the things they will argue is that the incarnation, God becoming a man is not reasonable, it's not rational, it's contradictory. God can't be both God and man and things of that sort. So I want to try to show why, what the Bible teaches, what is the redemption story, what is the gospel message, and how reasonable it is. And if we understand why God the Son became a man and died on the cross for our sins, we'll see that there is no other way for us to be saved. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It wasn't like, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and God the Father's arbitrarily picking a, a way for us to be saved. He said, I, I think I'll just decide to save people who love red flowers. Or I'll just uh, choose to save people who like spaghetti or whatever it may be. It was not arbitrary. It was not arbitrary. God the Father had his son slaughtered in our place because there was no other way. Now, not all Christians would agree with me on the way I spell this out. It depends on the Christian thinker's view of human free will or the lack thereof, okay? But from my understanding of the Scriptures, this is the way I would spell it out. Many great Christian thinkers have spelled it out this way. Many great Christian thinkers have spelled it out a little little differently. Um, but here it goes. Uh, logic of salvation, point number one, God loves us. And because God loves us, He gave us free will, okay? Uh, but love cannot be forced on others. Okay, so God loves us. Because He loves us, He didn't make us robots programmed to obey. 
said, I'll give you the freedom to turn your backs on me. I'll give you the freedom to reject me. But if you reject me, there's going to be some horrible consequences because that's the way I get your attention and try to bring you back to me. God, because he loves us, gave us free will. Love cannot be forced on us. This is a horrible word um, for um, when, when somebody thinks they love somebody else and they try to force their love on the other person because the other person won't accept it. And uh, I don't see the God of the Bible uh, doing that. Um, I see the God of the Bible giving us free will and not forcing his love on us. Now, when we, the whole human race back then was Adam and Eve, and they were created perfect. So, you know, I often used to think, boy, I wish I was, was, you know, back then the first one created. I wouldn't have blown it. But, you know, it's like, hey, everything that goes into defining what Phil Fernandez is involves the fact that I'm, I've got a sin nature. I'm not perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect, and they still blew it. So none of us would have done a better job than them. Whatever the case, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, because he loved us, he desired to save us. Now, there's going to be a problem here because Adam and Eve are going to have children and they're going to pass on to their children the corrupted nature that they now have. Okay? But God loves us. We abuse that love and we abuse free will and turned against them. Now, there's a problem here. Not only is God loving, but God is just. Okay? God is so just that he cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. Okay? God is so just. Justice means fairness. The punishment must fit the crime. But guess what? All sin, even the tiniest sin, is rebellion against God. And God is the ultimately worthy being. There is no being higher than God. That's why we worship him. That's what worship means, to acknowledge the ultimate worth of God. So if all sin is rebellion against the ultimately worthy being, and if the punishment must fit the crime, since God is totally just, then all sin, even the smallest sin, earns the ultimate in punishment. This is what the Bible refers to as uh, Gehenna, or the lake of fire, eternal torment. Um, we uh, usually refer to it as as hell. So all sin earns the ultimate in punishment. Now, if God decides to provide a substitute sacrifice, and he did. Praise God for that, otherwise I wouldn't be here tonight, and you probably wouldn't be either. Um, But if there's going to be a substitute sacrifice, the substitute sacrifice has to be ultimately worthy. Okay? Um, You just can't, let me, you know, our Jehovah's Witness friends, the lesser God just ain't going to do it. All right? The lesser God can't do it. And then our, our, our liberal friends that might call themselves Christians like uh, Bishop Fong, he's got, he's got a mere man dying on the cross. And then it was just a tragic death and just let it, let it be. Um, but for a substitute sacrifice to atone for rebellion against an ultimately worthy being, the substitute sacrifice must be an ultimately worthy sacrifice. In other words, the substitute sacrifice has to be God. Okay? Anything less than God will not cover all the sins that mankind has ever or will ever commit. Okay? Substitute sacrifice has to be God. However, the substitute sacrifice 
has to be able to represent man. So the substitute sacrifice has to be one of us. And the substitute sacrifice has to be able to die. Okay? You can't have a sacrifice. You can't have in the Old Testament a Jew um, kind of wounding a lamb, you know, just kind of making him bleed a little bit and then letting him go and saying, okay, that was a good sacrifice. No, a sacrifice, it has to be offered to the point of death. Okay? And um, and so a sacrifice must be able to die. Well, God as God can't die. And so God the Son had to become a man in order to provide salvation for us. And this is nothing new. Um, Anselm wrote, Why the God-Man? And that was back in the 11th century A.D. Okay, And he explained why Jesus had to be both fully God and fully man to be the mediator, the go-between, the one way for us to be saved. Um, you take this this substitute sacrifice out of the picture, okay? And there is no hope for mankind because what you do, you're doing damage to God's justice, okay? If God is not totally just, what makes you think He's going to keep His promise to save you, however you define salvation? Okay, if he can sweep your sins under the rug, maybe he can sweep some of his own problems under the rug as well. If God's going to be totally just, there has to be this ultimately worthy substitute sacrifice. Now, again, God is not just totally just. Okay, so again, God cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. In Judaism and Islam, God is just overlooking our sin. Just looking the other way, just ignoring it, okay? The God of Judaism, the present state of Judaism and Islam is nowhere near as just as the God of the Bible. Um, but then point number three, God is loving. He will not force his love or his forgiveness on us. We are free to accept or reject Christ, okay? Um, and... Um, and so basically, our, our response, we can either accept or reject God's gracious offer of salvation by either accepting Jesus as our Savior or by rejecting Him. Okay? Um, all religions do not teach the same thing. And I believe apart from this, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, providing salvation for us, apart from that, there is no way for us to be saved. Um, Again, those who say that all religions say the same thing, Christianity says, delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Okay? Buddhism, the whole goal of Buddhism is there are four noble truths. Number one, life is filled with suffering. Number two, suffering is, is caused by our desires that are not fulfilled. Number three, the way you get rid of suffering is you stop desiring and number four, Buddha had an eight, eight different ways that you can stop desiring things. So in Buddhism, your goal is to put out the flame. The total cessation of desire. Um, in fact, many atheists have responded to Buddhists and they, they've said, what's the difference between your hereafter and non-existence? And, you know, Buddhists have a hard time uh, responding to it. And so all religions do not teach the same thing. Um, and again, God 
is a totally just God, but he is also a totally loving God. And you will not find that in any of the other world's religions, a God that loved us so much that he sacrificed his son in our place. And we don't have time to go into all the problems with the different religions. If I leave you with nothing but the fact that they do not teach the same thing when it comes down to salvation and the Savior, um, if you leave here with nothing else but that, um, that's, that's enough in itself. Uh, but the fact of the matter is you can, you can tear down step by step any, because Christianity is the truth, any worldview that rejects the truth, if you follow it out long enough, eventually it will, uh, be involved in contradiction. Uh, you cannot live consistently, um, you cannot, you can deny that God created the universe, but you still have to live in His creation because it's the only universe there is. You don't have a choice. Francis Schaeffer's writings pointed that out. Um, at this point, if we have a few minutes, uh, if, if anybody has any questions, um, I'd be willing to respond to a few questions. Uh, if not, I'll just I'll ask, ask uh, Pastor Dan to uh, close us in a word of prayer. Oh yeah, if you keep that in your prayers, at, at this I, I had to try to get them to give me the exact weekend because um, I was also invited to speak at a counter cult conference, and it turned out to both on the same weekend. But uh, they, they said it's going to either be May 24th or 25th, and um, and they they want to hold it either Columbia University, NYU, or Stony Brook. If they can't get one of those places, uh, they're going to just hold it at their own Islamic uh, institute. And uh, but it's, it's a really, real good opportunity, especially in New York City. It's a really big issue there. And I like the question: Is Jesus uh, God? Um, so a lot more comfortable. I want to get the gospel message out, so I, I like that question. Plus, I feel a lot more comfortable debating a Muslim in New York City on is Jesus God rather than you know. Is the Islamic faith violent? That's, uh, I'll, I'll send, uh, I'll send my vice president at the institute to do that debate. And, uh, but, uh, yes. Yeah, and it, it's really, really tough. You know, I was, remember I said that on the way over, listening to, uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias, and he's talking about the same stuff we're talking about. Well, in between services, I listened to the same thing. It's, it's 8.20 a.m., um, KGNW. I'm going to throw in a commercial here. Um, and it's, so you do get that station out here, 8.20 a.m., and, and we're, we're on every Saturday except the second Saturday of each month, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. The Institute of Biblical Defense, we have our own talk show over there. But Adrian Rogers, what was your question? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, he was point, he was pointing out, he's got a whole tape series, Adrian Rogers, on the Christian worldview. My students cringe at that word, the phrase, but, um, and he, but he was, he was pointing out that you, you have to be able to intellectually defend the Christian faith but if you don't live the Christian life, it's meaningless. It, it, it has no power. 
And that is probably more true when ministering to, when witnessing to uh, Muslims and Jews than anybody else. The Middle Eastern mindset, I mean, we sit down, we, we sat down and had lunch with the pastor and the, the assistant pastor and his wife, and, um, um, and we got good fellowship and all. And, um, but in the Jewish mindset and the Muslim mindset, I mean, you break bread with somebody, they are your friend for life. And um, so uh, we need to be gentle and to pray for them and to befriend them and invite them over our houses for dinner and, you know, things of that sort. Um, and then little by little open up the dialogue with them. And keep in mind, the Muslims, Middle Eastern Muslims are coming from a country, or, you know, they, they come from countries where the whole idea of religious freedom is if you're a Muslim, you have religious freedom. If you're not a Muslim, you don't have any. Okay, now, if somebody brought me up with that view of religious freedom, I'd have a hard time with people who disagreed with me. And so, they reserve the right for themselves to slam Jesus at every turn. But once you say something negative about Muhammad, they just cannot believe your religious intolerance. Okay? Um, now, um, having said that, Hal Lindsey, from his research of the Middle East, you know, he's an expert on the end times, and from his research on the Middle East, Middle Eastern Muslims who move to America, only 15% uh, back terrorist acts. Now, it doesn't mean that they're terrorists, but only 15% would applaud uh, at 9-11, okay? Uh, but Middle Eastern Muslims still living in the Middle East, that percentage is as high as 40%. Okay, and the Quran. I don't know what President Bush is talking about. He probably has to say that Islam is a tolerant and peaceful religion that's been hijacked by fanatics. Um, but um, no, um, they're only doing what Muhammad said to do and what Muhammad, you know, he set the example for them. And uh, and I won't be talking about that much in uh, in New York City. But um, but let me just tell you a little story as a follow up on that. When I used to work in a police department. We used to have this uh, Muslim gentleman would come through the gate and he was working for Dunkin' Donuts out of Tacoma. They would deliver donuts. And, you know, being a, a you know cop doing law enforcement and security, when I would get stuck with the gate, you know, he'd offer me donuts. And I thought, you know, hey, cops cops and donuts, you know, we've had a long, long history together. And, and so, uh, so I thought this is a good deal. Well, one day I showed up for work and we are at roll call. And he said, all right, uh, we... This comes right down from uh, from the top, from the chief. He doesn't want us accepting any gratuities anymore. And so one of the officers raised hands and said, well, what do you define as a gratuity? Anything that can be construed as a favor or a gift. For instance, uh, the Dunkin' Donut guy. He can't accept donuts anymore. So I thought, oh, that's a bummer. Because, you know, this guy was bringing in like a half dozen chocolate donuts just for me, you know, and... He was a big guy. This was like, we're talking like 6'3", 220, you know. He comes through my gate and he offers me donuts that very day, like 10 minutes after roll call. And I had to say, oh, thanks anyway, but we're not allowed to accept gratuities anymore. This guy's like, he looked, uh, sitting in his, his van like this, and he just looked at me and said, you know, I was like, I thought I killed his dog or something, you know. It's like, and um, and he would literally, for weeks, would come through my gate. And he would hold out his badge and would not look at me, and his eyes would be all watery. Because, you see, when he gave me donuts, 
he was saying, you are my friend. And and here I was, you know, taking courses, Bible college courses, while I was working in security, and I was learning about the Middle Eastern mindset. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I guess my uh, Bible professors are right on this one. And um, so I would check his badge each day, and I would pat him on the shoulder. And, and uh, say, uh, have a good day, my friend. Have a good day, my friend. And it took a month or two before he was even looking at me let alone saying hello to me. And uh, so take that very seriously. Um, we need to pray for people, and we need to tell them about Jesus. But if we don't love them, you know, like Paul says, we just hear another clanging bell. We've got too many clanging bells in the church. We've got to get down to loving people. Into the church, and his wife, you know, she submitted to his leadership, so she went with him to the church he wanted to go. But she brought the thickest Bible I ever saw in my life. She was a Mormon. And so she had a Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, you know, the whole the whole deal. And um, and I thought, gee, this must be a work. You know, you must have put this together, Lord, because here I am, kind of the, the little Walter Martin of Kitsap County, and you sent her to my church, so you want me to, to witness to her right now and refute Mormonism. I thought to myself, no. And I think it was the Holy Spirit telling me, no, it's just, hey, Right, she she grew up a Mormon. All her friends are Mormons. They take they took care of her. Anytime she got sick, they took care of her. They loved her. Okay, and if I try to lead her to Christ on day one, I'm going to be asking her to leave all her friends and all her support. And then we Christians are famous for just you know leading people to Christ and then ignoring them. We ignore them in our churches for four or five, six weeks, and then eventually they drift off, and we would go to another church. Stop going to church altogether. So I figured, well, let's let's show this lady that we love her and, and treat her as part of the family. And so every Sunday after I give a sermon, I give a salvation message. You know, about a year later, I sat down with her and said, "Let me ask you. I know you have a Mormon background and stuff." Um, and I felt comfortable asking because she now had a much smaller Bible with her in church. And I asked her if she accepted Jesus as her Savior, and she said yes. And I thought, well. What do you mean by that? You know, and I started asking her, what did Jesus, what does his death mean? Who is Jesus? And she was getting all these answers right. And I thought, whoa, he is saved. And I said, well, when did this happen? She said about six months ago, after you preached, you gave her a salvation message. And, uh, and then she just said she had some questions. And, and so I was able to sit down and, you know, she wanted to know if, if her and her husband's marriage was really an eternal marriage like Mormonism taught her or, or not. And, you know, things of that sort. Um, but we have to we have to recognize that yes we do need to we we've got to pray for people we've got to speak the truth in love but we have got to love them we can do a lot you don't have to be a Bible expert to lead people to Christ I mean Billy Graham is a brilliant guy I don't agree with everything that he said or done but Billy Graham is a brilliant guy but it's not as brilliant that has led multitudes to the Lord that's his love for us you know I, I'm sure Billy Graham would much rather have just been with his wife and his kids. Um, but God was calling him out there, and he went out there, and he loved people, and people people can see that. People can see when you love them. And uh, we got to get back in the business of loving people with God and love. I mean, we're the only people who can do it. You know, without his Holy Spirit, um, it doesn't happen. So, okay, maybe, uh, maybe one more question. Okay. Well, 
I, I think that there's several things that come into play. Number one, uh, Americans rejected, even though our universities got taken over by atheists, we rejected philosophical atheism, the belief there is no God. So we still believe God existed, but most Americans accepted what I would call practical atheism. In other words, we began to live like God didn't exist. If it feels good, do it, so long as you know you don't get arrested for it. And um, so, you know, but, but basically you decide what's right and wrong for you. So uh, Americans have been starving for spiritual experiences. We've rejected the God of, of the Bible. And so now they're looking to the, uh, the East. And we saw that in the 1960s with the LSD trips and all the gurus uh, coming on over. And Buddhism is a little bit more... Uh, attractive to a, a Westerners than Hinduism, because one of the main reasons why Buddha broke off, broke with um, Hinduism was the caste system. He did not like the caste system, so, um, so that makes it a little better. But I mean, you go, you go witnessing at Olympic College, small community college in Bremerton, and you know every other kid tells me they're a Buddhist. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Buddhist, and they don't even know what Buddhism is. You know, I mean, they were it's like you're a you know, kid, you're a Buddhist. Your belt buckle is worth more than my whole wardrobe. And you're a Buddhist? And um, so, uh, you know, and, and they're just, I, I would talk to them while they eat lunch at Olympic College. So they'd be down in food like most Americans do. And they're, they're supposed to be working on attaining to the cessation of desire. So they don't even know what Buddhism is. So it's, it's, it's a lot like, you know, Bainbridge Island new age type thinking so uh, um, it's a kind of an Americanized version of it so I think we had one other question over there um, first off I'd like to say I just want to go on record saying I am not a Raelian clone and uh, so uh I just want to make that clear. Um, no, actually, um, the best book ever written on the subject, as far as I'm concerned, um, even the Christian Research Institute and Hank Hennegraaff call it a, a CRI book. It's published by Baker Bookhouse, but William Alnor, A-L-N-O-R, and the book is called um, uh, UFOs and the New Age. And... Um, and I agree with him. I, there's one area where I disagree. Walter Martin was open to the possibility of life on other planets, physical life on other planets. And, um, I mean, it opens up all kinds of problems, like Larry Norman. I don't know if anybody remembers the Christian rock and roller from the 70s and um, early 80s. I think he's still around. I think his hair's all white now. He's got, still got the long hair. But he, but he had one song where it called An Unidentified Flying Object About Christ's Return. But he had this one line, and if there's life on other planets, then I'm sure that he must know, and he's been there once already and has died to save their souls. I don't, I doubt it. I don't, I really, it, it, I doubt very much that Jesus is fully God, fully man, and fully, you know, some alien from another galaxy. Now, what I do take seriously is Genesis chapter 6. If you do a linguistic study on the sons of God there, um, um, well, you'll find the Jews who translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek 200 years before Christ walked the earth, the Greek Septuagint, they translated the sons of God as, uh, which is uh, 
B'nai Elohim as um, Angelu Tufil, which means the angels of God. Every other place where that phrase, the sons of God, is mentioned throughout the Old Testament, it is clear that angels are being spoken of. So I believe that somehow, some way, um, some of uh, the fallen angels, Nephilim, that means the fallen ones. That's what it literally means, and it, be, it eventually became synonymous with being giant. But somehow, some way, shape, or form, in the days of Noah, uh, fallen angels uh, took bodily form, cohabited with um, uh, female humans. And um, um, Al I'm not sure where he is on there. I think he's open to that possibility, but he's not sure. But basically, William Almor, I agree with him. The evidence is out there that, you know, 98% of this, of this stuff, you, know, you always go back to the J. Vernon McGee uh, pepperoni uh, pizza thing that 98% of these sightings are too much pepperoni pizza the night before. You know, it's just a bad bad case of gas, okay? It's got nothing to do with extraterrestrial life. But there are 2%, that, that, that 1 or 2% where there is something going on, but they, they these craft violate the, the laws, known laws of physics. They travel over a thousand miles an hour and make 90 degree turns. Um, they don't have, they take bodily form, but they don't have to take bodily form. They speak through telepathy. Um, they can channel now. Now they're channeling messages. Aliens are channeling messages through people. Um, the other thing is this is not something new. You can trace this and William Almore does it throughout history even a thousand years before Christ in ancient Egypt. And we would be visited um, by superior beings on flying craft even before we knew how to fly. And um, um, but the Bible says that whenever you get messengers from some other dimension and they come here, uh, the Greek word for messenger is angelos. We get our word angel from that. And so I believe William Almer is correct that um, you test the messenger by his message, and when that message, time after time after time, is a new age message, Jesus is just one of many manifestations of God. After we die, we're all saved. The better life begins. You don't have to worry about confessing your sins. There is no such thing as sin. When you hear that same message time and time again, it tells me that um, there's something demonic uh, going on. I would not even be, to be honest with you, I would not be surprised when you look at what Jude says about angels who left their own domain and that God has chained them up and punished them. And then it talks about in the same way the men of Sodom went after strange flesh um, and sexual immorality, gross immorality. And he's comparing it to what, what he seems to be doing, talking about Genesis 6. Um, but I, w- I wouldn't even be surprised if, uh, if some demons just don't like being spirit beings and have taken bodily form, and if they feel like hanging out on one particular planet or another, who knows? I don't know. But um, but I think there's some demonic deception that's going on, and I think William Almore uh, probably wrote the most scholarly work on the subject, and I highly recommend that book. Um, Pastor, thank you. Say uh, a clap thanks to uh, Brother Phil for coming and sharing with us. <clears throat>